Welcome to the Vincentian Heritage Podcast, a selection of readings on Vincentian history, spirituality, and praxis to help sustain the members of the Vincentian family in our shared efforts to live out the mission, vision, and values of St. Vincent de Paul. This episode's reading is entitled Frederick Ozenam, Systems Thinking and Systemic Change, published in 2014. It was written by Raymond L. Sickinger, Ph.D., and is read by David Edward Sims. A number of biographies document the true story of how the young Frederick Ozenam visited a beleaguered Parisian woman with five children on one of the first visits he made in the spring of 1833. She was in desperate need. When her husband drank to excess, which was often, he became terribly abusive to both her and the children. Nearly all of the wages she herself worked so hard to earn were immediately wasted by him on drink, leaving her children to suffer especially, but not only, from hunger. She was at her wit's end when Ozenam visited her. After providing her with the necessary material assistance, Frederick probed more deeply into the details of her situation. As a young law student, he hoped to understand exactly what her legal options might be in order to advise her about advantageous courses of action. Fortuitously, he discovered through his legal research that she was never officially married, allowing her the freedom to leave this oppressive household. To assure her, he obtained an official decision from the Procureur de Roy stating this fact. When he first informed the woman, Ozenam intimated that she should leave the premises to live elsewhere in Paris with her children. But soon after, he realized how great the wrath of the foiled husband was, particularly once he learned of the potential loss of drinking income. The man threatened violence. Concerned for the family's safety, Ozenam suggested a legal procedure to force the man to quit Paris. He took the time, however, to listen carefully to the woman's counsel, and, based on her recommendation, he instead sought a legal order that would prevent the husband from leaving Paris. Now the woman would be free to live with her mother in Brittany. A collection was taken up for her travel expenses. When she departed with her youngest children, the two eldest boys, eleven and twelve years of age, were apprenticed with Monsieur Bailly's printing establishment and cared for at the Bailly house. Frederick had succeeded in working for and with this woman to make the journey out of poverty. In his lifetime, Frederick Ozenam neither heard nor uttered the phrases systemic change or systemic thinking. Yet the story above illustrates a compelling argument that he was committed to helping people move from poverty to a sustainable life, a key element in changing systems that entrap people in poverty. Thinking about the world as a complex interrelated system, rather than as a simple mechanism, has been fundamental to modern science, but the actual phrase, systemic change, has most often been applied to the field of education. The term has gradually expanded into other areas, especially the study of poverty and its root causes. 
It has been attributed by some to Peter M. Senge, Ph.D., who identified systemic thinking as the fifth discipline and inspired the phrase systemic change. According to Senge, vision without systems thinking ends up painting lovely pictures of the future with no deep understanding of the forces that must be mastered to move from here to there. Without systems thinking, the seed of vision falls on harsh soil. At the same time, Senge argues that systems thinking also needs the disciplines of building shared vision, mental models, team learning, and personal mastery to realize its potential. Building a shared vision fosters a commitment to the long term. Mental models focus on the openness needed to unearth shortcomings in our present ways of seeing the world. Team learning develops the skills of groups of people to look for the larger picture that lies beyond individual perspectives. He insists, however, that personal mastery fosters the personal motivation to continually learn how our actions affect our world. Without personal mastery, people are so steeped in the reactive mindset, someone, something else is creating my problems, that they are deeply threatened by the system's perspective. For Senge, the fifth discipline, systems thinking, integrates the disciplines, fusing them into a coherent body of theory and practice. In the final analysis, he is emphatic that a shift of mind or a change in attitudes is absolutely crucial to final change. In 2006, the Superior General of the Congregation of the Mission, Rev. Gregory Gay, responded to the growing interest in systemic change that began with Senge's work. He formed a commission for the promotion of systemic change. The commission's expressed mandate was to help bring about systemic change through the apostolates of the members of the Vincentian family, especially those ministering to the oppressed poor. Once formed, it placed particular emphasis on self-help and self-sustaining programs so that those living in poverty might be active participants in the planning and realization of the projects envisioned. Reverend Gay's call was to all members of the Vincentian family to engage in strategies that would help end poverty through systemic change and be faithful to Vincentian virtues and values in the process. According to the definition developed and adopted by the leadership of the International Vincentian Family, systemic change refers to aid that moves beyond providing food, clothing, and shelter to alleviate immediate needs and enables people themselves to engage in the identification of the root causes of their poverty and to create strategies to change those structures which keep them in poverty. Just as Peter Senge had intimated, the Vincentian family also embraced a belief that systemic change requires changing attitudes that have caused the problem. In the case of the Parisian mother trapped in an abusive marriage, Frederick Osnam indeed moved beyond providing only for immediate needs. He identified a situation that, if left unchanged, would perpetuate a family's poverty. 
Acting on this knowledge, Frederick informed the mother and, more importantly, listened carefully to her wise advice, consequently engaging her directly in strategies that would bring a solution to her problem. Attitudes, including Frederick's, were changed in the process. Moreover, in his short lifetime, there is evidence that Frederick engaged in what might be referred to as systemic thinking because he developed a clear vision for a more charitable and just world, understood the forces that needed to be mastered to achieve that vision, inspired people to participate in the process, attempted to address the political, social, and economic problems that were obstacles in the path of success, and tirelessly worked to change the attitudes of and toward those living in poverty. He, then, has much to offer Vincentians and others as well in their effort to both understand and to achieve systemic thinking and systemic change. The Vincentian publication Seeds of Hope, Stories of Systemic Change, identifies four distinct groups of strategies. Mission-oriented strategies, person-oriented strategies, task-oriented strategies, and strategies for co-responsibility, networking, and political action. Within these four groups, there are 20 specific strategies that are considered seeds for genuine systemic change. For the purpose of better understanding Frederick's contributions to a discussion of systemic change, both the 20 strategies in Seeds of Hope and Senge's thoughts will serve as the framework. In light of the Vincentian family desire to foster systemic change, Ozanam is especially relevant, providing us with consistent evidence of both ideas and ideals related to systemic change, as well as possible strategies to achieve it. Much like the 20 strategies, Ozanam's contributions to this discussion, as evidenced in his thought and his work, may be likened to early seeds of systemic change and systemic thinking. Regeneration of Society At the age of 21, Ozanam identified the crisis in France that would shape his life. The earth has grown cold. It is for us Catholics to revive the vital beat, to restore it. It is for us to begin over again the great work of regeneration. After years of revolution and with the onset of industrialization, France faced a difficult future and daunting prospects for resolving its religious, social, political, and economic problems. But Ozanam believed that genuine change could occur, as it had in the past, if there was a profound change in the minds and hearts of his countrymen. Regeneration was his first cherished vision. The Society of St. Vincent de Paul that he helped to organize was one of the essential efforts to realize this regeneration. Its youthful character was a genuine benefit, and he saw it situated at the school's gates that is, at the wellsprings of the new generation, that generation destined one day to occupy positions where influence is exercised, can give such happy stimulation to our poor French society and through France to the whole world. After reiterating to his cousin, 
Henri Pessineau in 1840, his commitment to the great work of regenerating French society, he better defined his vision one year later to his fiancée, Amélie Solacroix. To her he spoke of a community of faith and works erasing little by little the old divisions of political parties and preparing for a not-too-distant future a new generation which would carry into science, the arts and industry, into administration, the judiciary, the bar, the unanimous resolve to make it a moral country and to become better themselves in order to make others happier. He readily acknowledged to her that these were ambitious dreams but also admitted that they consoled him and brought him closer to her. He confessed every day he witnessed his vision of regeneration becoming a reality. After one celebration of the society, when he learned that 30 other conferences in the farthest removed sections of the country had participated in this solemnity, Osnam joyfully proclaimed, how can there not be given some hope to such a strength of association exerted mainly in the large cities, in every law school, in every enlightened home, upon a generation called to fill a variety of offices and influential posts? And if formerly immorality befell the upper classes, the academies, the judiciary, the military chiefs, the politicians, among the middle class and the people— can we not believe, without too much madness, that divine providence calls us to the moral rehabilitation of our country when eight years are enough to raise our number from eight to two thousand, when several of us, without the help of intrigue and favor, already move in the highest levels of society, when on all sides we invade the bar, medicine, the courts, the professorships, when a single one of our conferences is composed of nearly a third of the École Normale and the brightest students of the École Polytechnique. According to Seeds of Hope, systemic change strategies should establish structural and institutional models where communities can identify their resources and needs, make informed decisions, and exchange information, as well as construct a shared vision toward change. It was upon this perceived need for regeneration that Ozanam constructed his vision and model of an association dedicated to reviving France morally, spiritually, politically, economically, and socially. Authentic regeneration, a complete change in the system, would result only from a dramatic change in the hearts and minds of Frenchmen, not simply from some external program of action. By forming true bonds of friendship, support, and example, an indisputable transformation could occur. Those living in poverty, however, were not to be excluded from these bonds of friendship. As Ozanam wrote in 1834, But the strongest tie, the principle of true friendship, is charity, and charity could not exist in the hearts of many without sweetening itself from the outside. It is a fire that dies without being fed, and good works are the food of charity. And if we assemble under the roof of the poor, it is at least equally for them as for ourselves, so as to become progressively better friends. 
Peter Senge warned that although a vision is important because it fosters long-term commitment, it can prove fruitless if one does not understand the forces that must be mastered. The Vincentian family also cautioned that when dealing with those living in poverty, systemic change strategies should always start with a serious analysis of the local reality, flowing from concrete data, and tailor all projects to this reality. Ozanam anticipated these concerns. Because he was such an exemplary scholar, one might expect that Professor Ozanam would have believed that poverty could best be grasped deductively by applying a grand theory on how society is constructed and functions. But Frederick understood the serious limitations and implications of such an approach, one that many socialists of his day employed. Monsieur Baunard, the translator of much of Ozanam's correspondence, argued that Frederick knew that all social theories from Plato to Munzer and John Leyden have only resulted in visionary utopias, disorder, and violence. Instead, Ozanam embraced an inductive approach based on experience as the only viable way to get a thorough understanding of the complexity of poverty. The knowledge of social well-being and reform is to be learned, not from books, nor from the public platform, but in climbing the stairs of the poor man's garret, sitting by his bedside, feeling the same cold that pierces him, sharing the secret of his lonely heart and troubled mind. When the conditions of the poor have been examined, in school, at work, in hospital, in the city, in the country... It is then and then only that we know the elements of that formidable problem that we begin to grasp it and may hope to solve it. For Ozanam, the regeneration of society would help to eliminate poverty and it would be accomplished only by forming authentic community and building just, caring relationships between the different social classes who ultimately shared the same goals for society, peace, order, and happiness. He believed that his Catholic faith had much to offer on this subject to those who might be willing to listen and engage in dialogue. Ozanam's vision of complete regeneration of society, then, has a connection to systemic change strategies and thinking. It is his first contribution, or the first seed. Let us go to the poor. When challenged in the early conference of history to identify what he and his friends were doing for those in need, Ozanam spontaneously responded, We must do what is most agreeable to God. Therefore, we must do what our Lord Jesus Christ did when preaching the gospel. Let us go to the poor. The initial group that formed was at first simply called the Conference of Charity. It was composed of only seven members, Augustus Le Talandier, Paul Lamache, François Lallière, Jules Devaux, Félix Clavet, Frédéric Ozanam, and Joseph Emmanuel Bailly. It was Joseph Emmanuel Bailly who would become the first president-general of the Flourishing Society, and Frédéric Ozanam who would become its radiant source of inspiration. Just as systemic change strategies in Seeds of Hope now recommend Ozanam and his friends designed projects, creative approaches, policies, and guidelines that flow from Christian and Vincentian values and mission. 
The purpose of these was exactly what Seeds of Hope now emphasizes, to evangelize while maintaining a profound respect for local culture, thus enculturating Christian and Vincentian charism and values in that culture. With the guidance and mentoring of Sister Rosalie Rendu, Frederick and his young companions not only began to live out the Christian imperative to bring succor to those in need, but also to become imbued with the Vincentian charism. According to Armand de Melun, Rosalie Rendu's collaborator and biographer, Rosalie recommended to them patience, which never considers time spent listening to a poor person as wasted, since this person already takes comfort in the goodwill that we demonstrate by attending to the recitation of his sufferings. Understanding, more inclined to pity than condemn, faults that a good upbringing did not ward off. And finally, politeness, so sweet to a person who has never experienced anything but disdain and contempt. Sister Rosalie further admonished her young Vincentians to love those who are poor. The world says it's their fault. They are cowardly, ignorant, vicious, lazy. It is with such words that we dispense ourselves from the very strict obligation of charity. Hate the sin, but love the poor persons who commit it. If we had suffered as they have, if we had spent our childhood deprived of all Christian inspiration, we would be far from their equal. Her words took seed and rooted deeply in Frederick. With a profound understanding of the importance of what he was undertaking, Asenam eloquently articulated the need that awaited him and his friends in the streets of Paris. Cast your eyes on the world around us. The earth has grown cold. It is for us Catholics to revive the vital beat to restore it. If necessary, to bring back the era of martyrs. For to be a martyr is possible for every Christian. To be a martyr is to give his life for God and his brothers. To give his life in sacrifice, whether the sacrifice be consumed in an instant like a holocaust or be accomplished slowly and smoke night and day like perfume on the altar. To be a martyr is to give back to heaven all that one has received, his money, his blood, his whole soul. The offering is in our hands. We can make this sacrifice. It is up for us to choose to which altars it pleases us to bring it, to what divinity we will consecrate our youth and the time following, in what temple we will assemble, at the foot of the idol of egoism or in the sanctuary of God and humanity. Indeed, his recognition that egoism or selfishness was a serious problem to be overcome is a good example of what Senge terms personal mastery. Ozanam was aware of how human behaviors, including his own, impacted the world. Poised to bring Christian and Vincentian values to a desperate France, Frederick saw his role, then, as a true evangelizer through commitment to action and example. Moreover, the projects, approaches, and policies that flowed from the young society were genuinely inspired by Christian and Vincentian values. In a letter to his mother dated 23 July 1836, Ozanam recounted some of the works with which he and his companions in charity were engaged. 
We maintain a house of apprentices for printing, where we lodge, feed, and instruct ten poor children, nearly all orphans. We pay two charitable persons a wage equal to a half pension for each of them. Several of our colleagues have been charged by the president of the civil tribunal with visiting children detained at the request of their parents. Again, in another letter to her in April of 1837, he proudly reports that a lottery was drawn which realized 3,006 francs for our adopted children. Indeed, St. Vincent de Paul had also made use of such a lottery to raise funds for his orphans. In a third letter to his intended, Amelie Solacroix, dated February of 1841, Frederick enthusiastically proclaimed that 1,500 families here in Paris alone have been helped. The daily bread brought under the needy roof, wood assured for many a dismal home. Besides, 20 boys educated for free in a paternal household, a truly large number, supervised, protected, and encouraged, apprenticed in reliable shops, brought together each Sunday for divine service. Corrupt fathers have been brought back to an ordered and frugal life. In December of 1837, a ministry to soldiers was created in Lyon to counteract the perverse temptations of idleness and the evil temptations of a great city. The members established a special work, a library of books. As Ozanam faithfully reported to Paris, we have distributed a large number of leaflets to inform the soldiers of our existence. During the last five months, 268 soldiers have attended and have chosen reading matter according to their taste and their intelligence. The list of deeds inspired by Christian faith and Vincentian values could easily be expanded. It is no wonder that Frederick pronounced with conviction in 1837 that our little society of St. Vincent de Paul has grown large enough to be considered a providential fact. The second seed is then contained in Ozanam's advice to his colleagues. Let us go to the poor. The poor are our masters. The third seed is represented in Ozanam's belief that the poor are our lords and masters, a belief deeply grounded in the words of St. Vincent de Paul, who first uttered them, and who served as an inspiration to Frederick and his young companions. In a letter written in November of 1836, Frederick eloquently stated that the poor are not in the least inferior. We should fall at their feet and say, Tu es Dominus et Deus meus. You are our masters, and we will be your servants. You are for us the sacred images of that God whom we do not see, and not knowing how to love him otherwise, shall we not love him in your persons? According to the Seeds of Hope, systemic change strategies are predicated upon a deep respect for the dignity of the human person. One must listen carefully and seek to understand the needs and aspirations of the poor, creating an atmosphere of respect and mutual confidence and fostering self-esteem among the people. And one must involve the poor themselves. Frederick's genuine love for persons living in poverty inspired him to become a true friend of those he visited, always ready to work with them and defend their interests. 
The personal visit to the home was intended to empower the person in poverty and to provide insights into her or his genuine needs. Initially, Frederick listened attentively. Then he would attempt to engage the person in the journey out of poverty. Reminiscent of what Senge suggests in his discipline of mental models, Frederick demonstrated a genuine openness necessary to unearth the shortcomings in how he saw the world, particularly the world of those living in poverty. As the French Dominican priest Lacordaire fondly remembered, his or Ozanam's manner toward the poor was one of the warmest and most kindly respect. If they came to visit him, he made them sit in his armchairs like distinguished guests. When he came to their homes, after giving his time, his conversation, and his money, he never failed to take off his hat and say with a gracious bow that was customary with him, "I am your servant." Spirituality, friendship, and service. Since its origination in 1833, the essential elements of the Society of Saint Vincent de Paul were spirituality, friendship, and service. These elements were fundamental to the formation of members. Vincentian systemic change strategies insist on the necessity to educate, train, and offer spiritual formation to all participants in the project. For success, one must promote learning processes in which the members of the group speak with one another about their successes and failures, share their insights and talents, and work toward forming effective, multiplying agents and visionary leaders in the local community, servant leaders inspired by Saint Vincent de Paul. From its inception, the society's early members, and most of all Ozanam, recognized and valued the development of conference members through this trinity of essential elements. Let us work to increase and multiply, to become better, more tender, and stronger. In February of 1834, the society was placed under the patronage of Saint Vincent de Paul, not upon the suggestion of Ozanam, but of another member, Le Prévost. However, it was Ozanam who was most passionate about fidelity to this patron saint. As he informed his close friend François Lalier in 1838. We are now reading the life of Saint Vincent de Paul, so as to better imbue ourselves with his examples and traditions. He insisted that Saint Vincent remain as a model one must strive to imitate, a heart in which one's own heart is enkindled. By appropriating the thoughts and virtues of the saint, the society could escape from the personal imperfections of its members and make itself useful in the church and give reason for its existence. Although the official name of the organization did become the Society of Saint Vincent de Paul, the conference remained the primary basic unit of the group, reflecting the original nature of the first conference of charity as a forum for the discussion of ideas, exchange of information, and a reflection upon what is learned both in study and through visits to those living in poverty. Although the evidence is far from conclusive, there is a possibility that members of the first conference were taught the practice of theological reflection by Sister Rosalie Rendu. 
When visits concluded, the members may have gathered in her parlor to recount what they did, reflect on their service, and receive both advice and support. Whether or not Sister Rosalie instructed the first members in reflection, certainly reflection became an essential feature of conference life in the society. Ozanam remained at the forefront of instructing and encouraging members to improve their lives and to help others improve theirs as well. In April 1838, he counseled members to meet often because coming together more frequently, we love each other more. The more numerous our meetings in the name of him who promised to be in the midst of those who should come together in his name, the more clearly do we seem to realize the fulfillment of his promise. Conscious of the potential power the visit had to transform both the visitor and the visited, Ozanam begged members to examine their consciences. We must bring light into this chill. Edification, rather than conversion, is the chief necessity. But how to make saints when one lacks sanctity? How preach to the unfortunate resignation and courage which one does not possess? How rebuke them for failings present in oneself? There, gentlemen, is the main difficulty of our position. That is why we are so often overcome by confusion of heart and remain silent in the presence of families we visit who, if they are our equals in weakness, are often our superiors in virtue. It is such a time that we acknowledge, in the words of St. Vincent de Paul, that the poor are our lords and masters, and that we are hardly worthy of rendering to them our petty services. Moreover, Ozanam's vision of the world determined that a person living in poverty was not a useless person, because in suffering she or he is serving God and consequently serving society, just as someone who is praying. This person fulfills a ministry of expiation, a sacrifice from which we benefit. Reverend Robert P. Maloney of the Congregation of the Mission insists that forming people for leadership roles is fundamental for bringing about long-lasting change. But experience teaches that a vertical style of leadership is rarely effective in systemic change projects. Servant leaders are needed. Men and women who listen help the group to formulate projects, involve it in implementing them, and engage it in evaluating and restructuring them. Frederick Ozanam was indeed this requisite servant leader. His was no vertical style of leadership. Reverend Sean McCarty, S.T., readily discerns that Ozanam's leadership among his brother Vincentians advocated great openness, flexibility, and diversity, kept in unity by sharing the same mission and spirit. Ozanam may have thought of himself as a weak Samaritan, but others saw him as an authentic servant leader. When the first president, Emmanuel Bailly, decided to leave the position in 1844, Ozanam was largely responsible for defining the necessary qualities to hold that office. In a June document, he portrayed that person as one who had great piety in order to be an example to all and perhaps still greater affability in order not to discourage others by too rigid virtues. He must have the habit of devotion, the spirit of true fraternity, the experience of good works. 
zeal and prudence are especially essential, coupled with an ability to maintain the society in the paths of simplicity and prudent liberty. In his final analysis, the president's character must attract confidence and respect, while his gentle familiarity renders him the friend of the younger members in the numerous family united around him. The qualities listed undoubtedly describe an ideal servant leader and are intimately connected to the fundamental principles of spirituality, friendship, and service. Peter Senge argued that systemic thinking requires mental models to help identify shortcomings and team learning that develop skills to see the bigger picture. These three essential elements of the Society of St. Vincent de Paul served as a perfect mental model by which to gauge and overcome shortcomings. They also served as the key to the group's ongoing learning and formation. Ozanam's fourth seed, then, is the essential elements of spirituality, friendship, and service. Humble Simplicity Frederick used the cogent expression humble simplicity in a letter to his fiancée, Amélie Solacroix, dated 1 May 1841. Only one thing could hinder and destroy us, the adulteration of our primitive spirit, the Pharisaism that sounds the trumpet before it, the exclusive self-esteem which belittles any power other than that of the elite, excessive customs and structure resulting in languor and relaxation, or rather verbose philanthropy more eager to talk than to act, or again bureaucracies which impede our march by multiplying our machinery, and especially to forget the humble simplicity which has presided over our coming together from the beginning. This expression adheres to the intent of Vincentian's systemic change strategy to start modestly, delegating tasks and responsibilities, and providing quality services respectful of human dignity. Simplicity, with its emphasis on openness, honesty, and modesty, was also one of the hallmarks of St. Vincent de Paul. Jesus, the Lord, expects us to have the simplicity of a dove. This means giving straightforward opinion about things in the way we honestly see them without needless reservations. It also means doing things without any double-dealing or manipulation, our intention being focused solely on God. Each of us, then, should take care to behave always in this spirit of simplicity, remembering that God likes to deal with the simple and that he conceals the secrets of heaven from the wise and prudent of this world and reveals them to little ones. An essential feature of Vincentian pragmatism has always been practical, concrete, and effective services, underpinned by the absolute belief that each person is made in the image and likeness of God and is a temple of the Holy Spirit. All projects for the poor start modestly and grow into being. And even today, the rule guiding the Society of St. Vincent de Paul clearly identifies simplicity, frankness, integrity, genuineness as one of its essential virtues. In fact, when Emmanuel Bailly stepped down in 1844, he was praised for his fidelity to the traditions of humble simplicity which he had helped to establish. 
Frederick Ozanam was fully aware of the need to have both an affective and effective organization. To his friend, Francois Lallier, who was Secretary General of the Society under Bailly's presidency, Ozanam thoughtfully advised the following. It is your duty, by age and office in the Society of St. Vincent de Paul, to reanimate it from time to time by new inspirations which, without harm to its primitive spirit, foresee the dangers of too monotonous a uniformity. He further cautioned Lallier, let us be careful not to straighten ourselves with customs too hidebound, within bounds impassable in number or density. Why cannot the conferences of St. Etienne and St. Sulpice go beyond 50 members? Why cannot the society here get larger than 40 members? Think about it. Vincentian systemic change strategies attempt to systematize, institutionalize, and evaluate the project and its procedures, describing measurable indicators and results. In this spirit, Frederick Ozanam was faithful to the accurate reporting and honest evaluation of the society's works, its accomplishments, as well as its failures. There can be little doubt that Frederick rejoiced in the growth of the society and its works. Yet he also maintained an important perspective on the process of growth, informing his fellow Vincentians that they should not only share statistical statements crammed with enumerations of our successes, as important as such reports might be, but that they must also exchange ideas, our inspirations, sometimes our fears, and always our hopes. Advising his friends to think of another kind of balance sheet, he exhorted them to inquire not so much whether our numbers have increased, but rather if our unity has grown. Not so much whether our works are more numerous, but if they are better. To report, indeed, what aid we have given to our poor, but far rather what tears we have dried and how many Christians we have brought back to the fold." Humble simplicity fostered personal motivation within each member of the society to think deeply about how their actions were affecting the world. Personal mastery, in the words of Peter Senge, and proved to be Ozanam's fifth seed. The Rule it is a rule in Vincentian systemic change strategy that any project or undertaking should be self-sustaining by guaranteeing that it will have the human and economic resources needed for it to last. The rule of the society was intended to provide guidance for long-term sustainability. Shortly after its formation, the Conference of Charity became known officially as the Society of St. Vincent de Paul, and a rule to govern its members' actions was written and promulgated. Although the writing of the first rule is generally attributed to Emmanuel Bailly and Francois Lallier, Sister Louise Sullivan of the Daughters of Charity suggests that Bailly, Lallier, and Ozanam were charged with the task— and she further emphasizes that as early as 1834, it was Ozanam who had clearly seen the need for greater organization. Even one of his biographers, Reverend Edward O'Connor, argues convincingly that at the very least, the concluding portion of the rule was composed by Ozanam. 
According to Reverend O'Connor, Frederick returned to Paris in the autumn of 1835 to complete his doctoral thesis. He was then living with Francois Lalier, his dear friend, who had the task of completing the final draft of the rule. Granted the latter's natural seriousness of character and lack of imagination, we shall not err in attributing to Frederick himself the conclusion of the rule with all its warmth of feeling. The moving conclusion to which Reverend O'Connor alludes read, Together or separated, near or far, let us love one another. Let us love and serve the poor. Let us love this little society which has made us known to one another, which has placed us on the path of a more charitable and more Christian life. Much evil is being done, said a holy priest. Let us do some little good. Oh, how glad we shall be that we did not leave empty the years of our youth. The rule that resulted in December of 1835 came two years after the fact for a reason. According to the society's first president, Bailly, was it not necessary that the society should be well established, that it should know what heaven required of it, that it should judge what it can do by what it already has done before framing its rules and prescribing its duties? Bailly continued, Now have we only to embody in regulations usages already followed and cherished, and this is a guarantee that our rule will be well received by all and not forgotten. Interestingly, this practice of embodying what was already proven to work is in the best tradition of St. Vincent de Paul and St. Louis de Merillac. The rule of 1835 set forth the society's goals, among which were 1. To sustain its members in the practice of a Christian life by example and mutual advice. 2. To visit those who are poor in their homes, to bring them assistance in kind, and to offer them religious consolation. 3. To apply ourselves according to our talents and the time that we have at our disposition to the elementary and Christian instruction of poor children, whether free or in prison. 4. To distribute moral and Christian books. 5. To apply ourselves to all kinds of charitable works for which our resources are adequate and which are not contrary to the primary aim of our society. Its primary aim, however, was Christian piety, a growing in holiness by service to those in need. Consequently, members were encouraged to be virtuous and, in particular, to practice the following virtues self sacrifice, Christian prudence, an efficacious love for one's neighbor, zeal for the salvation of souls, gentleness of heart and humility in words, and especially fraternal spirit. In its own way, the rule provided members with the mental model to see the world differently and encouraged team learning to see the larger picture that lies beyond individual perspectives. The rule today, fundamentally the same as it was in the 19th century, emphasizes the importance of reflection upon service experiences as an essential part of the development and growth of its members. Members, known as Vincentians, grow in holiness and lead better lives by visiting the poor whose faith and courage often teach Vincentians how to live.
By reflecting and meditating on their experiences, Vincentians arrive at internal spiritual knowledge of themselves, others, and the goodness of God, and transform their concern into action and their compassion into practical love. Ozanam provides an excellent example of this. How often has it not happened that being weighed down by some interior trouble, uneasy as to my poor state of health, I entered the home of the poor confided to my care? There, face to face with so many miserable poor who had so much more to complain of, I felt better able to bear sorrow, and I gave thanks to that unhappy one, the contemplation of whose sorrows had consoled and fortified me. How could I avoid henceforth loving him more? With the rule in place, the society continued to flourish and grow, eventually becoming a worldwide organization. It provided the proper guidance for sustainability. Ozanam's sixth seed is embedded in this rule. DePaul University has thousands of Incension articles available for download absolutely free. These articles include entire biographies of Vincent DePaul by Pierre Coste and Louis Abelie, 12 volumes of correspondence, conferences, and documents of Vincent DePaul in both French and English versions, and 27 past volumes of the Vincentian Heritage Journal. Visit the institutional repository on the web at via.library.depaul.edu. This is Part 7 of 10. Circular Letters and Letters of Report Seeds of Hope counsels that systemic change strategies should foster transparency by inviting participation in preparing budgets and in commenting on financial reports. There must be careful controls over money management, while those participating must fully support and respect the mechanisms for promoting solidarity that exist among the community members. Both the circular letters and other letters of report constitute a primary example of promoting transparency and solidarity within the fledgling Society of St. Vincent de Paul. From its first beginnings, Frederick Ozenam insisted that regular communication among the members was essential. The president should circulate letters on a regular basis, which not only provide facts or describe key events, but which also address key concerns and necessary changes. But there should also be regular reporting from each society location. For example, Emmanuel Bailly received an appendix to a report from Frederick in July of 1838. Listing the membership and the monies of the society in Lyon, Ozenam took great care to provide accurate figures as well as a description of the works they had accomplished. There are numerous other examples of these kinds of reports which not only bring light to the work but also provide evidence of good stewardship. Ozenam admonished his friend Lallier in a letter of 1837 to attend particular assemblies frequently. See the presidents from time to time. Take part in the meetings of the administrative council. Prod sometimes the excessive tranquility of the president-general. Do not neglect correspondence with the provincial conferences. He further counseled, If you think as I do, when a conference fails to write by a designated date, you should write to it yourself a little in advance of the next date to ask it to be more faithful in communicating. 
No longer allow the circular letters to be delayed too long. The one you sent me two months ago is very good and responded to an urgent need. Visiting families is not as easy as it seems. Instructions in this regard are extremely useful, and it would be good to repeat them. Peter Senge advised that mental models focus on the openness needed to unearth shortcomings in our present ways of seeing the world. Certainly, these circular letters and letters of report, like mental models, provided that openness for Ozanam and the rest of the society to identify significant shortcomings as well as celebrate successes. Using a cogent organic image, Ozanam once described these letters as brotherly communications that are like the circulation which keeps life in the society. They were also in the best tradition of St. Vincent de Paul, who valued such honest communication. Indeed, the circular letters and letters of report were, and still are, the society's lifeblood, bringing rich nourishment to both the transparency and solidarity of the society. In them, we discover Ozanam's seventh seed. Hearing Humanity's Cry for Freedom Reverend William Hartenbach of the Congregation of the Mission suggested more than 15 years ago that it can safely be said that Ozanam involved himself in activities which were directed toward systemic social change because Ozanam was active in politics and was part of a group of Catholic intellectuals who were committed to the democratic ideal. Indeed, those committed to Vincentian systemic change strategies promote engagement in political processes through civic education of individuals and communities. They struggle to transform unjust situations and to have a positive impact through political action on public policy and laws. Such persons often have a prophetic attitude. They announce, denounce, and by networking with others, engage in actions that exert pressure for bringing about change. An acute appreciation of history eventually guided Ozanam to conclude that in the nature of mankind, democracy is the final stage in the development of political process, and that God leads the world in that direction. Although Ozanam condemned the French Revolution's reign of terror from 1793 to 1794, increasingly he came to appreciate the value of and necessity for democratic reform if France was ever to be resurrected from the ashes of the French Revolution. According to Catholic Church historian Thomas Bokenkotter, Ozanam interpreted the French Revolution as humanity's cry for greater freedom and as a key figure in the short-lived Christian democracy of 1848, he tried to move the church to hear that cry and join in the struggle. In The Correspondent in 1848, Ozanam published a powerful public call to embrace the masses. He later argued that Instead of espousing the interest of a doctrinaire ministry, of a fearful peerage, or of an egotistical bourgeoisie, we must take care of the people who have too many needs and not enough rights, and who justly demand a more complete role in public affairs, guarantees for work, and against misery. He was clear. 
It is in the people that I see enough remnants of faith and morality to save a society in which the upper classes are lost. Ozanam was not a socialist. He did not want the overthrow of society, but instead he anticipated the advent of a free, progressive Christian reform of it. Yet Ozanam was severely critical of those who continued to ignore the cries of the poor. If a greater number of Christians, and especially clergymen, had looked after the workers for ten years, we would be more sure of the future. Using strong words of caution in April 1848, Ozanam begged the church to take care of the workers like the rich people. It is from now on the only way to salvation for the Church of France. The priests must give up their little bourgeois parishes, flocks of elite people in the middle of an immense population which they do not know. Valuing civic engagement, Frederick Ozanam took his duties as a citizen of France seriously. In the late 1840s, he served in the National Guard and regularly voted in elections. He engaged in a significant journalistic venture during the revolutions of 1848. He wrote articles on political and social matters in the newspaper Le Air Nouvelle, or The New Era, as a kind of civic duty, intending to influence minds and persuade people to avoid violence and support necessary democratic reforms. My share in public life, from which no man would shrink today, is confined to the little I shall do in the Air Nouvelle. We must found a new work for these times. The prospectus for that publication, 1 March 1848, was signed by Ozanam. It purported to reconcile religion and the democratic republic, to demand from the republic liberty of education, liberty of association, amelioration of the condition of the working men. It also called for the protection of all peoples who have lost their nationality by unjust conquests which time cannot rectify, and those other peoples which, following our example from afar, aspire to achieve their own political and moral emancipation. Ozanam was approached to stand for election as a representative in the new assembly to be formed following the revolution that had unseated Louis-Philippe in 1848. He reluctantly agreed to offer his name as a candidate, stating publicly that he always had the passionate love of my country, the enthusiasm of common interests, and that he longed for the alliance of Christianity and freedom. Although his personal wishes were against running for office, he felt it was his civic duty to do so. He was not elected, but he left a clear record of his mature political beliefs, which had been nurtured by his service experiences from 1833 to 1848. In a public statement issued on the 15th of April to the constituents of the Department of the Rhone, he declared that the revolution of February 1848 was not a public misfortune. It's a progress that one must support. Liberty, equality, and fraternity, the catchwords of the French Revolution, were, eloquently stated, a signal of the temporal advent of the gospel. His implication was clear. 
the French Revolution of 1789 had been bloody and violent precisely because it had forgotten its religious heritage, a Christian heritage that could and should embrace people in a loving way. Ozanam understood that only a transformation of both the human person and of society would lead to true liberty, equality, and fraternity. The same year, he warned, behind the political revolution of 1848, there is a social revolution. One must not think he can escape these problems. The monarchy had now failed three times to resolve its issues, and Ozanam passionately advocated that it was time to demonstrate that the proletarian cause can be pleaded, the uplifting of the suffering poor be engaged in, and the abolition of pauperism pursued. His words were indeed bold and prophetic. He not only called out to his countrymen, but also to all in the Vincentian tradition to find new ways to seek the temporal gospel in principles of liberty, equality, and fraternity to revitalize democracy and with it encourage the flourishing of humanity. Of most importance, he was intently focused on changing people's attitudes, so essential to effecting systemic change, according to both the Vincentian family and Peter Senge. Consequently, in hearing humanity's cry for freedom, and in writing in L'Air Nouvelle to champion democracy, support basic human rights, and address the root causes of poverty, Ozanam planted his eighth seed of systemic change. Help that honors. Vincentian systemic change strategies consider poverty not just as the inevitable result of circumstances, but as the product of unjust situations that can be changed and focus on actions that will break the cycle of poverty. They require a holistic vision addressing a series of basic human needs, individual and social, spiritual and physical, especially jobs, health care, housing, education, spiritual growth, with an integral approach toward prevention and sustainable development. In an article for L'Air Nouvelle, Ozanam distinguished between help that humiliates and help that honors. He proposed a holistic approach that offers more than simply providing for the material needs of the human person. Help is humiliating when it appeals to men from below, taking heed of their material wants only, paying no attention but to those of the flesh, to the cry of hunger and cold, to what excites pity, to what one succors even in the beasts. It humiliates when there is no reciprocity, but it honors when it appeals to him from above, when it occupies itself with his soul, his religious, moral, and political education with all that emancipates him from his passions and from a portion of his wants, with those things that make him free and may make him great. Help honors when to the bread that nourishes it adds the visit that consoles when it treats the poor man with respect, not only as an equal, but as a superior. 
since he is suffering what perhaps we are incapable of suffering, since he is the messenger of God to us, sent to prove our justice and charity and to save us by our works, help then becomes honorable because it may become mutual. Painfully aware that poverty was a complex phenomenon, Ozanam ascertained early on that persons living in poverty often were not to blame for their condition. In another article entitled Les Causes de la Misère, he articulated a profound and powerful lesson learned through his service to others. God did not make the poor. God forbid that we should calumniate the poor whom the gospel blesses or render the suffering classes responsible for their misery, thus pandering to the hardness of those bad hearts that fancy themselves exonerated from helping the poor man when they have proved his wrongdoing. He ardently advocated for education, worker associations, and other practices that would give a hand up instead of just a hand out. In line with Senge's belief, Ozanam once again proved open to changing the way he saw the world, attuned to looking for the larger picture, and continually learning and sharing how his and others' actions affected his world. Of course, Ozanam embraced the Christian ideal of detachment from material goods, an ideal reinforced in large part by his scholarly study of and writing on the Middle Ages, especially St. Francis of Assisi. Interestingly, some claim that Frederick was a third-order Franciscan. He clearly understood, however, that severe poverty or destitution, the absence of all essential material, physical, and spiritual needs, was something neither to be glamorized nor condoned. And let no one say that in treating poverty as a priesthood, we aim at perpetuating it. The same authority which tells us that we shall always have the poor amongst us is the same that commands us to do all that we can, that there may cease to be any. Those who know the road to the poor man's house never knock at his door without a sentiment of respect. The vicious cycle of poverty that often permanently entraps people in its grip was a phenomenon Ozanam became intimately acquainted with and one which he hoped to break. Waxing eloquent in a later dated 11 April 1839 to his fellow Vincentians, Ozanam expressed his firm hope that those who were recently at strife will meet to know and love one another and that they would embrace an admirably simple thing which is as infinite and eternal as the God from whom it comes, charity. For him, love was an essential part of change and the solution to both alleviating and eliminating poverty. His ninth seed is found in the understanding and promotion of help that honors. Worldwide Network of Charity The tenth and final seed Ozanam offered is his vision of a worldwide network of charity in which he aspired to encircle the world. By the time he spoke to the Society of St. Vincent de Paul Conference in Florence in January of 1853, Ozanam had witnessed his dream of a network of charity and justice becoming a reality. 
to the conference members, he emphatically yet humbly proclaimed that God has made our work His and wanted it to spread throughout the world by filling it with blessings. The society became a worldwide organization because of a genuine shared vision of charity and justice. According to Vincentian systemic change strategies, one must construct a shared vision as well as work to promote social co-responsibility and networking, sensitizing society at all levels about changing the unjust conditions that affect the lives of the poor. Constructing the final vision and promoting a network of friends can best be attributed to Frederick Ozanam. Throughout his life, he was tireless in his efforts to expand the society. To that same conference in Florence, he recounted the taunts of young socialists who claimed to have the answer to the future, but he proffered that they were no longer effective; their voices were silent. Instead, through his reliance on love, its trust in providence, and its message of truth, the Society of Saint Vincent de Paul had prospered and expanded globally. It is especially comforting to think that in the midst of this quick increase, our society has lost nothing of its primitive spirit. Let me remind you what this spirit is for your fraternal attention. Our main goal was not just to help the poor. Our goal was to keep us firm in the Catholic faith and to spread it among others by means of charity. We also wanted to advance a response to anyone who would ask, in the words of the psalmist, "Ubi est Deus eorum? Where is their God?" There was very little religion in Paris, and young people, even Christians, dared hardly go to church because they were pointed at. That is to say, they simulated piety for positions. Today it is no longer so, and thank God we can say that young men, older and more educated, are also the most religious. I am convinced that this is due in large part to our society, and to this point of view, we can say that she glorified God in her works. The transformation of individuals, and thereby the transformation of society in which they lived, was the express intention of this network of charity and justice. It was the answer to a regeneration of society, his initial vision. There is no doubt Ozanam believed that the Catholic Church held out hope for both social and spiritual salvation. He wished for it to flourish because it held out the promise of progress. Indeed, he argued, we must restore the doctrine of progress by Christianity, as a comfort in these troubled days. But he was neither a single-minded nor a closed-minded missionary. For him, service to others was to be based solely upon need, not upon creed. In one famous reported case, a Protestant organization provided a substantial amount of money to Ozanam and his conference for assistance to those in poverty. Other members of his conference suggested that the sum should first be used to help Catholics. In an impassioned speech, Ozanam informed his companions that if they were to do this, then they would not be worthy of the confidence of the donors. He refused to be a party to such a dishonorable action. Moreover, 
Throughout his life, he was also willing to work with secular agencies who took notice of the society's work, such as the Bureau of Public Assistance that worked with Sister Rosalie and the Daughters of Charity with whom she served. Peter Senge would likely say that Ozanam's vision was realized because he had a deep understanding of the forces that must be mastered to move from here to there, and because he was able to integrate the disciplines of building shared vision, mental models, team learning, and personal mastery. In other words, Ozanam engaged in systemic thinking. His elder brother, Alphonse Ozanam insightfully described his brother's successful vision. As soon as Ozanam saw the finger of God in the rapid growth of the Society of St. Vincent de Paul, he comprehended that the small charitable association of which he had first thought might perhaps begin to realize the design which he had meditated for for a long time the reconciliation of those who have nothing, which those who have too much, by means of charitable works. It was truly a vision of love which would inspire many long beyond Ozanam's short lifespan. Conclusion As a final note, it is appropriate to point out that the Society of St. Vincent de Paul, for which Ozanam was such an inspiration, has often been overlooked due to its genuinely transformative character. In Seeds of Hope, five criteria for systemic change projects are enumerated. Examine all five, and it becomes quickly evident that at least in its initial history, the society fulfilled or came decidedly close to fulfilling each of these criteria. The first criterion is long-range social impact. The project hopes to change the overall life situation of those who benefit from it. The Society of St. Vincent de Paul helped to address the multiple needs of many individuals improving their lives. The letters of report mentioned earlier provide ample evidence that those aided by the Society often found their way to a better, more sustainable way of life. The rule today stresses that the society is committed to identifying the root causes of poverty and to contributing to their elimination. The second criterion is sustainability. The project helps create the social structures that are needed for a permanent change in the lives of the poor, like employment, education, housing, the availability of clean water and sufficient food, ongoing local leadership, etc. Especially through its rule, the society ensured its own sustainability to the present day. Its members provided not only for immediate needs, but also opportunities for appropriate food supplies, apprenticeships, and other forms of employment, as well as education. Many of these eventually became the organized, special works of the society. No work of charity was foreign to the society. The third criterion is replicability. The project can be adapted to solve similar problems in other places. The philosophy of spirituality that grounds the project, the strategies it employs, and the techniques that it uses can be applied in a variety of circumstances. While the fourth criterion is scope, 
the project actually has spread beyond its initial context and has been used successfully in other settings in the country where it began, or internationally, either by those who initiated it or by others who have adapted elements of it. In the case of both, the society expanded quickly not only in France but elsewhere. Its principles and strategies were easily transferable to other countries and other needs. In 1855, two years after Ozanam's death, the society had a presence in approximately 35 countries. It currently exists in more than 140 countries throughout the world. The fifth and final criterion is innovation. The project has brought about significant social change by transforming traditional practice. Transformation has been achieved through the development of a pattern changing idea and its successful implementation. The society was actually countercultural in its day, aspiring both to resist and to change the systems of thought and practice that were part of French social, economic, political, and religious life. It would be disingenuous to claim that Frederick Ozanam was knowingly engaged in systemic change initiatives because the phrase systemic change was not in the vocabulary of his day. However, if Ozanam's thought, work, and strategies are compared to the Vincentian definition of systemic change and to the criteria and strategies for creating systemic change recommended in Seeds of Hope, Remarkable similarities and significant correlation are evident. Likewise, if Peter Senge's five disciplines are applied to Ozanam's thought, work, and strategies, significant correspondence and resonance are apparent. Indeed, Senge claims that a learning organization is a place where people are continually discovering how they create their reality and how they can change it. Ozanam diligently worked to make the Society of St. Vincent de Paul such a learning organization. It would be equally disingenuous, then, to fail to recognize that Ozanam was attuned to the realities and need for fundamental change in the religious, political, economic, and social systems of his day, and that he sometimes thought systemically, planting seeds which grew into genuine hope for those living in poverty. As Seeds of Hope proclaims, hope is a tiny seed that contains the germ of life. When watered, it sprouts and generates sturdy plants, beautiful flowers, fruit bushes, and trees. In thought and through his works, Frederick Ozanam brought such hope to a despairing world. As Pope Pius XII said of him, the mustard seed sown by Ozanam in 1833 is today. A mighty tree. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Incension Heritage Podcast. If you have any questions, please send them to mission.depaul at gmail.com. Be sure to check out all the other Incension family resources on our website, mission.depaul.edu.